There's a famous story from C.S. Lewis's life. He was sitting in his office at Oxford. He was an English professor. He was sitting in the, the English department in his office, and there was a, a co-worker, a friend, who was sitting with him, and the friend was, a, was an atheist or, or an agnostic. And the, as Lewis is talking to his friend in his office, there's some carolers singing down below, and they're singing about the virgin birth. And his friend says to C.S. Lewis, isn't it good that we know more than them? C.S. Lewis says, what do you mean? Isn't it good that we know more than them? The man just repeated himself. C.S. Lewis said, like, well, you're going to need to explain and talk. I don't know what you mean. And the man said, isn't it good that we know that virgins can't have babies? C.S. Lewis said, do you think they didn't know that virgins can't have babies? That's the entire point, (laughs) that a virgin or a son the idea of the conception, this miraculous conception, is wildly miraculous. And it's a fulfillment, it's a, a heightening of a Old Testament theme or motif throughout the scriptures, starting in Genesis 3. Remember that God says to Adam and Eve after their fall, he says that the seed, this is Genesis 3.15, it's called the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel, the seed of the woman will one day crush the head of the serpent. That prophecy in all of the Old Testament, there's this longing and looking for it. It's a weird prophecy to start with because a woman doesn't have seed. The seed usually belongs to the man. So there's something strange about it right away. Now throughout the Old Testament, there is this like barrenness motif. Like there are constantly women of God who are barren. And you think like uh, Abraham and Sarah, right? It's probably the, the biggest one we think about and Sarah was barren into her old age and every time there's this kind of prophetic word angelic appearance and pronouncement that Sarah is going to bear a child there's this there's a sense in which the Old Testament has you longing and looking like is this child who's going to be born to a barren woman is there a chance that this child is the one to crush the seed of the uh, crush the head of the serpent and like Sarah's like in her 80s when she gets pregnant and I say this all the time, that that, that miracle is, is big, right? If, if Sarah walked into the room today in her 80s pregnant, I'm taking my chances that that's a tumor, okay? I'm not I'm not betting on baby here. Um, yes. And you just keep following this theme. We got we have Sarah and, and, and Rachel. Rebecca is barren. Maybe some of the most significant people in the Old Testament. Hannah goes to the temple weeping for a son. And when she bears a son, finally, his name is Samuel. And he's the most prophetic man. Maybe the most prophetic man in all of the Old Testament. There's this sense in which any time a barren woman gets pregnant, the Bible makes you stop and look at the child. Like, what is happening? When Hannah gets pregnant, that's not a normal kid. The scripture says not a single prophetic word that Samuel pronounced ever fell to the ground. And, and you just keep moving. Um, Samson's mother was barren. And when, when, when she conceives for Samson, there's this angelic appearance which says that this man's going to be a Nazarite and the deliverer. Don't let wine touch your lips. And you just keep following the scripture. Barren women get pregnant. And the Bible stops to see who is that. Now, the, the motif or that idea, it really speeds up in the New Testament because... Even before Mary's miraculous conception, we have Zechariah. 
and 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 the the prophetic remember the angel of the Lord meets him in the temple and says I've heard your prayers and he's like what prayer and you're gonna you're gonna have a son and Zechariah at this point is old in age and I think he's saying yeah we prayed that in our 20s I haven't prayed that in a long time that ship has sailed And, and the Bible wants you to stop and look at Zechariah's son, who will be John the Baptist, and to wonder, who is he? But then there's like, the, the entire motif of barren woman having child, barren woman having a prophet, barren woman bringing Samson the deliverer, barren old woman now bringing you John the Baptist. It, it, it speeds up and then it climaxes in this really weird scenario where the angel of the Lord doesn't come to a barren woman with a husband but comes to a young virgin and you're you're going like like Abraham and Sarah yes weird too old to get pregnant but they get pregnant and there's it's miraculous it's interesting strange but there's a man and a woman and you kind of know how that works but 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 this as the story's speeding up this virgin girl And the text of the scripture wants you to stop and go, wait, that miracle is even more substantial than Abraham and Sarah. Now we have just a young girl who's never had any kind of intercourse carrying a child in her womb. And the Bible wants to swing around this moment and to ponder, what is this child called to? Who is he? Is this just another Samson or is this Samuel or is this Isaac or is this? Joseph, or is this the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent? Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Mary says to the angel, how can this be? I'm a virgin. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with, with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary said, Behold, I'm your servant, servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, this old woman, the angel of the Lord Gabriel comes to this young virgin girl. He calls her favored. He tells her, The Lord is with you. Now, remember, we've been studying Gideon. You remember this moment in Gideon's life where he's sitting in a wine press and an angel of the Lord appears to him and says, favored one, you man of valor. 
when the angel of the Lord appears to someone in scripture and approaches them with this, you're the favored one. You're the one God is with. There's this emphasis of, um, of calling. There's usually a battle to be fought. So when he calls Mary, you favored one, God is with you. Mary ponders that greeting and says, what does that mean? What does it mean I'm called to? He tells her, this favor means you will conceive. She says, how can I conceive? I'm a virgin. Literally, the Greek reads, I've never known a man. He tells him, Mary, that by the power of the Spirit, she will conceive a son. And then he begins to pronounce the role and the identity call of the child whom she will carry. Now, we've seen this in the past. We've seen the angel of the Lord announce a son and then tell us what the son will do. For instance, Judges 13, verse 2 through 5, a certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites, he had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. And the angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You'll become pregnant. You'll have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in the delivering of Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And Zechariah gets the same thing. An angel of the Lord appears to Zechariah and tells Zechariah that his son will be a great prophet to the nations. All of these divinely, miraculously kind of brought about sons are given a pronunciation, a declaration of who they're going to be and what they're going to do. But this conception was wildly even more miraculous, even more profoundly kind of confusing and daunting. This announcement to the young virgin says that this son will be called the son of the Most High. We read just a little bit further in Luke, and John the Baptist is called the prophet of the Most High. We see Nazarites of the Most High. We see servants of the Most High. We see kings anointed of the Most High. But we do not see in all of the scriptures a a son of the Most High like this. This is a unique sonship. The, The angel of the Lord says to Mary, the child in your womb will uniquely be God's beloved son. This, as you ponder it, is a clear declaration of the nature of Jesus. That he's, he's divine. Of God's essence. One with the Father. Always was. Always will be. This child in the womb has no natural genetic heritage from a father. His father is God. Notice verse 35. And the angel of the Lord says to Mary, and so not only is he the son of God, uniquely divine, in verse 35 we read that he will be called holy. There's not a one of us in the room who will stand before the Lord and be called holy outside of Jesus' blood. Right? Like no one in the scripture do you read and go, man, he is holy. Not, not really. Like Moses has his struggles. David has his fall. 
just keep reading through these men of God. They, they rise and they fail. They rise and they fail. Like us, they have broken sense of morality and strength. But not this son in your womb, Mary. He will be uniquely and totally holy, set apart, separate, distinctly not like you. Distinctly not like us. He will be called holy. John the Baptist calls him the spotless Lamb of God. So now what we have is a divine son, not just a prophet of the Most High, but a son of the Most High, who is holy, totally set apart, without the sin nature that so corrupted all of humanity. Adam's being deceived in the garden is passed on through his federal headship throughout generations, but this son doesn't come from Adam's genealogy. He comes from heaven, holy. And finally, we have God's holy son who will reign forever on the throne of David. Isaiah 9, 7, of the increase of his government and of this peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, he will establish it, uphold it with justice and righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Israel now has a divine, holy, spotless king who will reign forever. The miraculous conception, this this barrenness now being brought with seed, should cause the reader, the hearer, the listener to stop everything you're doing and to look and say, who is that in the womb of a virgin? And the text tells us from heaven, Gabriel announces, this is God's unique son. He is spotless in all his ways and he will be Lord of heaven and earth forever. And then the invitation of this hour is this. Like, will you receive this king and in receiving King Jesus receive all the benefits having forgiveness of sins having a restoration of identity and purpose being adopted into God's family being clean and spotless and restored will you receive the dominion of this king or will you continue on under the dominion of this world and its principalities and powers. There's an invitation in the text. There's an invitation in the conception. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. What is God's son doing in the womb of a virgin? It's the expression of God's love and desire for the nation. So here's the offer. Come to him. Receive your king. Find forgiveness, life, wholeness, and eternity in the presence of the most beloved, most high. Or continue on in your ways. I want to just kind of encourage us and thrust us as a people to cherish and celebrate this son above all else. Love your politician. Love your actors and musicians. I don't care. Love your athletes. I don't care. I'm encouraging you with all your heart, learn to cherish above all else this most beloved son. As we prepare to close, why don't you stand to your feet and we're going to worship King Jesus. If you've never received him 
I want to encourage you today, receive King Jesus with repentance and faith. Put your eyes and your heart on King Jesus.